Welcome to The Podlight, the audio collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm your host, Bob Stedler. We have a great show today. I'll be talking with San Jose Spotlight editor, Nick Preciado, covering stories that have come out this week. Nick, welcome. Thanks for having me. You know, a major story that broke this week is the Alum Rock Union School District trustees voting unanimously to close Clyde L. Fisher Middle and Lee Matheson Middle School at the start of the 2021-2022 school year. What drove them to make that decision? Yeah, so the district is currently facing a budget deficit of over $3 million. They're looking to save money, and closing the schools is definitely a way that they can do that. They're estimating that if they close these two schools, they could save $700,000 a year. That's two out of its 24 schools across the entire district, but that's still not going to be enough to offset the entire deficit. Part of the closure is actually attributed to an anticipated drop in student enrollment. Some are projecting a drop of about 50% by 2027. There's roughly 8,800 students enrolled currently, so that could drop to about 6,600 by 2027. Now, compare that to a decade ago, there were about 12,500 students enrolled in the district back in the 2011-12 school year. What does the closure do to families in those areas? Yeah, so families in the areas will definitely have an option to send their kids to uh, what's called Renaissance Academy. Uh, it operates on both the Fisher and Matheson campuses already. The academy is pretty much a school similar to what's already offered, but there's an emphasis placed on art, science, and social justice. Uh, families will also have the option to enroll their kids at any other district campus once the two schools close. So if Renaissance Academy isn't something that they want to pursue, they can look at one of the other 24, soon to be 22 schools in the district. What will come of those closed schools? So no official decision has been made on those yet. There's talk of leasing out the empty spaces at both campuses. Um, some suggestions include uh, using a community, like space for a community garden, uh, offering adult classes, even daycare or some form of child care. Uh, we're not clear on what the potential cost to lease out a space would be. And I think more importantly, it's also unclear how this decision will impact faculty and staff at the two schools. Yeah, it sounds like they have a lot more work to do to figure out what the closure will mean for the greater school district and what what steps come next. One of the stories Spotlight covered this week was the lagging recovery of the Norman Y. Mineta San Jose International Airport. You know, love that we have SJC so close to us. So what kind of drop are they dealing with at the moment? Yeah, so back in April of this year, uh, the San Jose International Airport saw a 53% drop in passengers compared to before the pandemic. Uh, There's some Caltrans data that shows air traffic went from a peak of 15.6 million passengers in 2019 to a low of about 4.7 million in 2020. Uh, It's still early in 2021, but the airport is seeing an uptick in flights right now. Um, Flights around the state to places like LA and San Diego, even to locations like Las Vegas are on the rise. So how does this compare to the rest of the country? San Jose's drop in passengers is nearly twice the national average of other airports in the country. That's about 28%. Uh, San Jose, along with SFO, are actually in the top five airports that saw the biggest reduction in passengers during the pandemic. Yeah, I had a phone meeting this week with a client vacationing in Hawaii. So are flights to Hawaii increasing? Uh, Yeah, at least for some airlines. And, you know, one of our staff members was just bringing that up earlier today. Um, So our reporter, he spoke with a representative for Alaska Airlines. That's the second most flown airline in San Jose. Not only did Alaska Airlines add flights to several cities last year and this year, but they've seen a massive increase to flights in Hawaii, or I'm sorry, flights to Hawaii. Uh, The representative our reporter spoke to attributed that to, uh, you know, Hawaii just being a classic vacation spot, but also the state's uh, COVID rules are a little more lax compared to California. 
Yeah, I could see that increasing for the rest of this calendar year. And, you know, another reason why this big hit on, you know, Mineta is such a big deal is, you know, the city has all those outstanding bonds that they put out to cover all the expansion. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this hits the city's bottom line next year. Yes, definitely. And, we're, you know, we're still actually waiting on the budget to come out. I believe uh, just the other day the proposed operating and capital budgets came out, but we're not really going to see what that's going to be solidified as until June when the council actually approves the budget. I think you're going to see more incentives and more discounts to airlines. Um, it's going to be a huge situation for the city to try and get SJC, you know, back up to where it was. You saw them talk about more spaces for interim parking. Um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a long haul for them to kind of get it up, but it'll also be interesting to see how the convention visitor bureau does getting people flying into SJC. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think one last thing to add to that too, is also just how safe passengers feel flying. I know that the airport has taken a lot of measures all over the entire airport, the terminals and the bathrooms, as well as the airlines. Everybody is taking steps to make sure that people feel safe and that people are protected against the virus. But I think we'll really just have to wait and see how travelers feel if they feel safe enough to get back on planes again. Yeah, I think our, our the only example we can go back to is after 9-11, how it did, you know, after a while, did kind of come back. It took time. So I think if we can, you know, recover after 9-11, I think, you know, I think the for me, the real question is how many conventions are going to happen. But I think, you know, with the disposable income of tech, I think you'll be seeing people travel more and more. Um, it's it's going to be, it's going to take a while to see how this plays out. Yeah, definitely. Our next story we'll be discussing is the historic Fallon statue. Let's have a little context on this. The statue was commissioned in 1988 by former San Jose Mayor Tom McHenry. The 16-foot bronze Fallon statue has been controversial from the start. Latino activists protested its placement at Plaza de Cesar Chavez in the 90s, calling it a racial insult commemorating abuses of indigenous and Mexican people. The statue was shuttered at a warehouse in Oakland from 1994 to 2002. It currently stands at the intersection of West Julian and West St. James Street. While I was preparing for this week's podlight, I came across the City of San Jose's public art website. In reference to the Fallon statue, it ends with the following statement. This artwork is a reminder that a community's historic events can be interpreted in many ways, depending upon one's perspective. Well, that statement didn't age well. What happened at the advisory art committee meeting in regards to the Fallon statue? At Tuesday's meeting, the five-member committee that advises the Art Commission actually voted to remove the Fallon statue. Uh, Mayor Sam Licardo and a city council committee recommended that last year as well, so this is kind of the next step in the process. But this advisory committee, more than just uh, voting to remove the statue, they're actually recommending to place the statue in storage where it will just be out of the public's eye completely. Um, the statue does meet some criteria to qualify it for removal, according to city officials. Uh, that includes being a significant, or I'm sorry, this includes having a significant adverse reaction from the public over an extended period of time, the inability to guarantee the statue's safety, as well as needing excessive maintenance to remove vandalism, such as paint, tagging, and even burn marks on the statue. What was the sentiment of the group on why they made that recommendation? Well, one committee member, Audrey Rumsby, uh, she said that the fact that the Fallon statue causes such pain for particular members of the community, that that overrides any reason to keep the statue at all. 
another committee member, Elizabeth Alvarez, she said that the statue should be removed, melted down, and actually turned into something else in order to honor the human dignity of the community. Now, it doesn't seem like that will actually be the case, the melting of the statue, as the artist who created it actually asked for it not to be melted. Yeah, I, I think what people don't understand about that statue is how heavy it is. It is a couple tons. I mean, that base that it sits on right now cost over a million dollars. And it was really significant on how to pick it up and move it. And so I, I think, you know, it's not hollow by any means. Um, and, you know, and talking about, you know, the statue and what should happen to it. You know, there are a lot of old guards, San Jose politicians that love that statue. Former mayor Tom McHenry once had the city manager order staff to reorient the streetlight and accompanying equipment. So the statue could be better seen driving eastbound. Has anyone come out in favor of saving it? Well, well first, that's, that's a very interesting point that you just brought up. Um, I can't speak to any currently elected city officials who are in favor of saving the statue, but at the meeting, there was one resident who spoke out about not destroying it. Um, she called it a beautiful piece of art. Uh, she said that expunging it from San Jose would actually leave the community without a symbol or acknowledgement of that part of the past that Fallon came from and really is what upsetting to so many members of the public. I just don't see this statue being the symbol of San Jose that represents the entire community. I think after everything we've gone through in the last two years and kind of having that reflective time, it, it's just, this isn't the statue. I, well, I know we're not talking about the urban confluence public art project, but I think that's something a better of a positive kind of project that kind of is looking forward. So I, I just don't see I just don't see that being the, the symbol of San Jose. The capital of Silicon Valley should not be a guy riding on a horse. What are the next steps in the removal process? So this is definitely going to take some time. The statue isn't just going to be removed overnight following this vote. Um, the actual Arts Commission is going to vote on this, uh, I believe, June 21st, uh, whether to remove the statue. If they vote to remove the statue, that'll then move on to the San Jose City Council, who will then vote in about August or September uh, on the final removal. Uh, I think you were talking a little bit about this earlier, but removing the statue will not be cheap. Uh, it's estimated to cost about $150,000 to remove it and transport the statue to storage, in addition to about $25,000 in staff time. Uh, that's on top of the work that's going to need to be done. The city will need to shut down a lane of traffic. They'll need to tear the statue out of the concrete, pick it up with a crane, transport it to storage, and then clean it up and rebuild the empty site. Uh, the city did catch a break, though, in that the storage of the statue will be free. So uh, I think they'll be saving a little money there. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine they're going to put it in the central service yard. Um, it's just I, just, I just remember what it took to put that statue there. Um, they didn't even remove it from the site during construction. They just moved it to the side of the construction staging area. Um, I think the costs are going to be significantly higher than that when they actually see what it's going to cost um, to get it up and what they're going to have to do to the base to have it sit on its own. It's going to be a it's going to be an interesting process. Yes, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see what's next on you know looking at public art throughout the city. This episode of the Podlight is brought to you by San Jose Spotlight, the city's only nonprofit community-supported newsroom. We need your support to continue providing independent political and business reporting to the nation's 10th largest city. Becoming a sustainable member today for as little as $5 a month 
and you'll receive exclusive member benefits, including free admission to our educational events, panel discussions, and more. You can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Spotlight, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Join the movement today. Learn more at SanJoseSpotlight.com. That's SanJoseSpotlight.com. This has been The Podlight, a collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm Bob Stedler. We'll see you next week. Thank you.